Welcome, everybody, to part number two of this series called The Bible for Grown-Ups. If you're here uh, last week, you know that we're doing something kind of unique in that we're actually teaming up with another church to bring you this series. And this week, you get to hear from me. Yay! No, Okay, a couple of you are excited about that. Uh, all right. uh, the reason we're doing this specific series is because there's a lot of people who know some stories in the Bible with March Madness coming up uh, here relatively soon. We're guaranteed to have at least one reference to a David and Goliath matchup. So a lot of people know at least one story in the Bible, but very few people know the story of the Bible, which this is a big deal because uh, if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's very easy to discount the Bible. And I would argue that if you discount the Bible, you'll end up wasting your life. And aside from that, here's what really compelled me to want to do a series on the validity of Scripture, because as I interact with society and watch the news and, uh, you know, meet with young people and college students. What makes me nervous is it appears that we're going a direction where there's no such thing as absolute truth anymore. And people say what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. And then we have the things playing out like these gender wars and then gender itself is this whole societal construct and there's no such thing as male and female. And these are the arguments that are being played out in school. And uh, it seems as though people will believe anything if it's said loud enough and with enough feeling. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't have to be true. You can just say it with conviction and people will believe it. You all heard about this, uh, this uh, flat earth movement where, where people are, are hypothesizing that the earth is flat, that man has never actually been to outer space. We don't really have satellites orbiting the earth, taking pictures of the earth. The earth is not a sphere. It is flat. This is real life. People say it's all a government conspiracy. Uh, Everything that you think you believe is not true. In fact, in March of last year, so 2018, this is real life, a gentleman, in an effort to prove that the earth was flat, built himself a homemade rocket ship out of scrap metal (coughs) and parachutes that he bought from the Army Surplus Store. He launched himself from a mobile home to shoot out into outer space, again, to prove that the earth is flat. Miraculously, in God's intervention, no one was killed. He himself was not hurt. The parachute deployed. He ended up going up a few thousand feet and said, uh, you know, next time I'm going to have to build a bigger rocket ship because the earth is flat. It's just not that flat. You know, I'm going to have to prove that it's, you know, it's flat still. I just need to be able to get... People say that Christians are the crazy ones. Y'all following me here? Like, I don't have a, enough faith to, to trust God because uh, of X, Y, and Z. But you have enough faith to put yourself in a rocket ship? Like, are you serious? Like, to shoot yourself into... Who thought that was a good idea? This guy did. I don't know what was involved in him coming up with that, but... My goal is to prove to you this morning that it really doesn't take that much faith to trust the Bible. My goal is to show you that there is absolute truth, and it's found right here in the pages of this book. 
title my message today, Ninjas and Nostradamus. What? Oh, it's about to get real in here. Ninjas and Nostradamus, all of it. If you brought a Bible, join me in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you're using an app or something that you can change, change translations, I'm going to be in the NIV, the New International Version the NIV. Before we get there, you might want to jot this down. Here's a preview for the rest of our time this morning. Everything I'm going to talk about in one sentence, here it is. Jesus didn't write the Bible, but Jesus is the reason for the Bible. That's what we're going to spend our next uh, little bit discussing. Jesus didn't write the Bible, but Jesus is the reason for the Bible. He didn't physically put pen to paper, but make no mistake, Everything within these pages is about Jesus Christ. So let's go. Second Peter 1, pick it up in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the reason that you can trust the Bible is because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, these documents record for us supernatural events that were uh, fulfilled by specific prophecies and itself claims to be divine rather than human in origin. That's everything that Peter just wrote here in Second Peter 1. That we're not trusting cleverly devised myths. This is a reliable source of historical documents. We were eyewitnesses to some of these things. There's other eyewitnesses. It fulfilled many specific prophecies. I'm going to show you some of those today, and itself claims to be divine rather than human in origin. So let's break this down. Uh, Notice Peter says, we do not follow cleverly devised myths. That is to say, we are not persuaded by a legend. This book is not written as folklore entertainment. It was not sent to a publisher in order to clarify a unified tale. Keep in mind, as we saw last week, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, there would be no the Bible. Now, certainly we would still have Jewish writings, there would still be the Torah and the law and the prophets. You should know that the same Old Testament you have in your hands this morning is the exact same Old Testament that Jesus would have unrolled in scrolls. It's in a little different order today than it was back then, but all of the content is the exact same. Nobody argues about that. 
And so we would still have that. And because of that, people would still be sacrificing sheep and goats. And PETA would love that. Can you imagine if that was still going on? I mean, uh, my point is the reason that we still have the Bible is not because the Jewish people did a good job at preserving their text, although they did. Furthermore, the reason we have the Bible is not because of something Jesus taught. The reason we have the Bible is not because Jesus was crucified as some kind of martyr. The reason we have the Bible is because Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason, as Peter points out, that this event, it's it's not a cleverly devised myth. There's too many eyewitnesses. And so what skeptics who ascribe to the theory that this book is simply myth and allegory, what they like to do because they can't disprove and refute eyewitness testimony is they try and discount the Old Testament. They do that because if, if, they can, uh, if that can't be trusted, well, then none of it can be trusted. If you can't believe all of it, you know, then you shouldn't believe any of it. And so what they do is they pick and choose different stories from the Hebrew Bible and they point out how similar they are to other ancient stories. And archaeological evidence has actually helped cast doubt on what we read in the Bible. For example, the flood. Uh, There are numerous other flood stories throughout ancient history. If you had to read the Gilgamesh flood account as I did in my ancient civilization history class, you would think to yourself, huh, that sounds familiar. Uh, There's been a number of other stories, specifically in Asian culture, about uh, men who were swallowed by large fish. And so they say, you know, the Hebrew people must have borrowed these stories from all the people living around them. What's ironic is Jesus actually names both men as actual physical characters within the world, Noah and Jonah, as if to say, no, you you can trust our account. These were real people. Uh, but uh, probably the biggest arena that this plays itself out in is in creation. And uh, people, science aside, uh, doubters will point to Egyptian, Babylonian, and Sumerian creation accounts and say how similar they are to the Genesis account. Their thought, again, is that the Israelites borrowed their account from the people living around them in the region. Now, scholarship has pretty much abandoned this line of reasoning because as they got into this, they realized there was one startling fact that separated the Christian creation account from all other creation myths, namely the unique claim that there is only one God. In Genesis, you'll read, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, the gods. In the beginning, God. Uh, We'll talk more about this next week, but you need to know that ancient civilizations didn't believe in one God. That's unique to Judaism and Christianity. All other cultures were polytheistic. There were many gods, and they believed that different gods were responsible for different things. And there's the God of fertility and the God of army and the the God of uh, riches and whatever. You got to pray to different gods to get your crops to grow and different gods in order to win battles and all of these different things. And if something went bad, you angered one of the gods and then you've got to make, you know, compensation to that God in order for things to start going right for you. 
And if you didn't like one of the gods that you followed, you could try and find a different god who could maybe help you in response to and maybe even defeat this other god so that you could keep serving the gods. And what I'm trying to help you see is that very few people dispute the historical validity of the New Testament. They simply don't want to follow what it says. So they simply have to try and do a workaround to feel satisfied with their unbelief. Listen to me now. People don't sacrifice their lives for myths. Once Jesus rose from the dead and people saw it happen, they began worshiping him as the son of God, which is what he claimed to be. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand why people want to discount the book. Because if this book is true, then your life is not your own. If God is only God, not the gods, but if God is the one who created the world, then you no longer have the right to live however you want. And you have to start living how God instructs you to live. Back to Peter. He says, we're not interested in myths. We follow Jesus because we are eyewitnesses to what he did. And I told you the reason you can trust the Bible is because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And last week, we looked at one of the eyewitnesses named Luke and his account. This week, I would point you to Paul and what he writes in 1 Corinthians when he writes about how Jesus appeared to him and to Peter and to the twelve. And then he points out that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. And he says uh, that you can, you can go ask any of them that, that Jesus is alive. Keep in mind, Paul's writing this letter to a church in Corinth, and he's saying, look, there's over 500 people that you can go ask about the resurrection. They'll tell you Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. Anybody watch crime dramas? Anybody a fan of real life, true crime? You don't have to be scared. Okay, yeah. My wife loves true crime dramas. Uh, Law and Order, yeah, SVU, Criminal Minds. She could walk you through entire seasons of this show. Not episodes, seasons, okay? But you know what would really screw up an episode of a, of a real-life crime drama? If early on you had multiple eyewitnesses all corroborating the same story. That jacks everything up. Uh, there's no mystery then. No need to call in Columbo. Let that brother stay home and smoke some cigars because the mystery is solved. Yet, that's what we have when we read the Bible. Corroborating eyewitness testimony. Not just that, we still have access to their depositions. Did you know that we have over 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscript to the New Testament itself. It's true. It might not sound like a lot, but when you compare that to all other ancient writings, uh, it's amazing. Like uh, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Uh, That's how we know about how the Romans defeated uh, Gaul, which is modern-day France, and Belgium. We only have 10 manuscripts documenting that event. Perhaps you're into philosophy, you've read Aristotle's Poetics. We only have five of his manuscripts. 
All of Homer's writings put together combined to less than 10 manuscripts. There's not even a single complete manuscript of the Iliad. We're just taking people's word on it that this is what he wrote and this is the complete work. And so here we are with 6,000 copies, which that's not even close to any of the others, and people are still doubting their validity. Why? Because if you go to college, your professor will point out that we don't have any of the originals. Sure, we have 6,000 copies, but not the original, which, okay, I'll concede that. That is true. We don't have the uh, original, but we can get as early as A.D. 120 with some of the copies. So that's not even a generation removed from when the original was written. In other words, if you were a child when, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down their eyewitness accounts, you would have still been alive in A.D. 120. You might have even been one of the folks who transcribed the original. Uh, plus, compare that to uh, uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars. We don't have the original in that. The closest we can come to is 900 years after the event. Aristotle's work, again, no original, 1,400 years late. Like I said, we don't have the originals to Homer's or some of Shakespeare's writings. We just have references to the original and references to the references that maybe bring to light some new information that we didn't have previously. A better question then is not having the originals a big deal, is why don't we have the originals? Is it because they're buried on Oak Island? No. I've lost all faith in those bums of ever finding anything. I've watched it for six seasons. They have yet to compel me to believe anything is on the curse of Oak Island. Don't worry if you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a waste of time. So why don't we have the originals? It's because, as we've already learned, the Roman Empire made it illegal to own the documents. The government was literally killing people for having any New Testament writings. And for hundreds of years, people risked their lives to make sure you could read these documents. Let that sink in. Nobody outlawed Homer. Nobody outlawed Shakespeare. Nobody outlawed Aristotle. And yet we can get closer to the originals than any of those men. It's amazing. And listen now, this is important. The reason people risked their lives to keep these documents in circulation is not because of what was written, it's because of who was seen. Jesus didn't write the Bible. He certainly inspired it. He's the reason for it. People saw a formerly dead man alive and it changed the world. Now, what's incredibly remarkable about these 6,000 Greek manuscripts that have been discovered is that they're all wildly similar to one another, like to the tune of close to 99%. Despite what you've heard, the only difference in any of these manuscripts is in punctuation. Uh, somebody forgot an apostrophe or, or whatever it is. It's not content. And which I, I don't know if you have ever had to transcribe things in school or maybe you had the computer class where you've got to type the words. But I can guarantee 
that not 99% of the class was getting everything 100% right. So the fact that we have 6,000 manuscripts that close to one another, nearly identical, should be enough for you to believe, to trust, whatever it is that they're saying. But it's not for a lot of people. Because skeptics like to say, well, if it's too good to be true, then it's, you know, it must not be true. And so they say that uh, you know, somebody must have changed all 6,000 manuscripts in order to match one another. Okay, let's say that happened. Let's say it was ninjas. I saw Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai, and that dude did some stuff, some Bruce Lee, Jet Lee stuff. And so let's say these ninjas managed to go and steal all 6,000 documents from their location without anybody noticing. If anybody could do it, it'd be ninjas. And they were able to rewrite everything to match without erasers and without, you know, white out and without being able to change the paper and all, but they, they were able to do it. And uh, the problem with that uh, is that Jesus commanded his followers to go make disciples in all of the world. And within a century, that is what was happening. Because uh, people who saw a dead man alive, they're like, I'm going to do whatever that guy says because he seems to be knowing what he's talking about. And so they spread out across the globe and started preaching the resurrection and the forgiveness of sin. And here's the problem with going to different people groups across the globe. They tend to speak different languages. And so within 300 years of these original Greek manuscripts being written around the time of Constantine the Great, men began translating these texts into Syriac for our Middle Eastern friends, and into Coptic for our Egyptian and African friends, and into Latin for the Roman Empire. So not only would these ninjas have to steal the original 6,000 manuscripts without anyone knowing, and then doctor all of them to say the same thing, then put them back, they've also got to convince their ninja allies in Africa and Egypt and the Middle East and to Asia to steal all these translated manuscripts and put the fix on them so that they would also match the Greek. Ninjas aside, are you starting to see how ridiculous that sounds? That this is all some sort of conspiracy theory. When it comes down to it, you don't have to trust the Bible simply on faith. This is a reliable source of historical documents recorded by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Now what does take faith, as Peter points out, is what's recorded within the pages. Because what's recorded is a whole bunch of supernatural events that we call miracles. Peter references the amount of transfiguration here in his text. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Jesus took some of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain with him. And there, God's presence showed up. And Moses and Elijah, symbolizing the law and the prophets, were there. And they were speaking with Jesus. And Jesus lit up like a Christmas tree. And he was super bright because he's the light of the world. And these men were there to see the whole thing happen. And the reason this takes faith to trust what's written is because even after witnessing that event, these same men didn't trust in Jesus. Peter later 
you know, curses the name of Jesus because he's scared. He didn't believe what Jesus taught, that he was going to raise from the dead. You thought about that before. The reason it's hard to believe the Bible isn't because what's written is not verifiable. It's because what's verifiable is so unbelievable. I mean, if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to include the parts where you look like an idiot. If Peter is going to make something up, he's not going to put in the part about how he cursed God, despite seeing him moments before being lit up and hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased. There are so many crazy stories in the Bible that you would leave out if you were writing it yourself. Dudes getting fed by birds, seas splitting, armies being destroyed without uh, an enemy even lifting a sword, people getting healed. It's crazy. In fact, because there's so many miracles in the Bible, I'm going to do an entire sermon series on miracles starting on Easter. Why on Easter? Oh, because my favorite miracle happens on Easter. Because Friday, everybody's like, oh, he gone. But then Sunday, they're like, oh, here he comes. And that's the greatest miracle of all time. Jesus didn't write the Bible, but he is the reason for it. What's kind of cool is the Bible knows that these stories are going to be hard to believe. So it actually has all of these prophecies that end up coming true thousands of years later so that it will be more palatable for you when you get to some of these other difficult texts. Because you can say to yourself, well, this happened way back then, all the way up to this, and then this must surely have happened as well. When I say the word prophecy, I'm not talking about Nostradamus stuff and the end of the world and some of these other crazy things that people predict. I'm talking about prophecies that predict an event that actually takes place. And I'll point out one to you today that I think will be helpful. Psalm 22. If you open up to the middle of your Bible, you'll find Psalm. The reason Psalm 22 is significant Well, I'll just read it to you and you'll figure out for yourself why it's so significant. Psalm 22, take a look at this. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should sound familiar. It's the very words Jesus spoke as he's being hung on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? forsaken me. Verse 6 says, but I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in God. These are the exact words that are being said to Jesus as he's being crucified. People are saying, let God, if he's the son of God, let him rescue him. And they're hurling insults at Jesus. Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Jesus says, I thirst. 
which is when they stuck the sponge of sour wine up to his face. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. Jesus was crucified between two villains hanging from a cross. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. That is to say, they're not going to break my legs like they traditionally did during a crucifixion so that you couldn't push yourself up on a cross to get a breath. They're not going to break his legs. His bones will be on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That's what the Roman soldiers were doing. They were casting lots for Jesus's garments. Now get this, this is such a big deal. This psalm was written by David a thousand years before Jesus is born and thousand years before crucifixion was ever invented. David had never witnessed a crucifixion and he's talking about hands and feet being pierced. This is why Peter can say we have a prophetic word fully confirmed because it was through Jesus. Jesus didn't write the Bible. Jesus is the reason for the Bible. So even if eyewitness accounts aren't enough for you and supernatural events aren't enough for you, perhaps the reason you should trust the Bible is because it says you should trust the Bible. Perhaps the reason you should trust the Bible is because it says it's divine in origin and not written by human authors. Notice what Peter says. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the pushback on this uh, is because we know it's men who wrote the Bible. So when we say, no, it's God who wrote the Bible, critics say, no, it's men who wrote the Bible. It was men who took the pen to the paper. And you can't trust what men write. To which my response is, well, can we trust anything you write? You you see how the argument starts to break down? Can we trust Pythagorean theorem? Because men wrote that. You know, can we trust E equals MC squared? Because it was a man who wrote that. Just emailed my math teacher the other day. Said, I made it through another day without ever once using geometry. Come on, somebody. Like, brings me up to, oh, 17 years. You know, 6,205 days. To which you quickly responded, but you used arithmetic. Dang it, math. You got me again. Just because men took pen to paper doesn't mean you can't trust What's written? The questions you should be asking yourself are, is what is written reliable? Is it internally consistent? Is it substantiated? Is it substantial? What's substantial? I don't know. Maybe three languages written by over 40 authors that span three continents and over two thousand years that all tell the same story that seems substantial because if you'll read through this book from beginning to end you will see one singular story rise out of the pages and it is the story of jesus christ rising from the tomb because of god's love for you this isn't a result 
of ninjas or Nostradamus. This is a result of, for God so loved the world that he became a man born in a cave to an unwed, single, teenage mother. Who's making that part up that the Savior of the world is going to come to a poor, single, teenage girl and he's going to be born in a cave and he's going to live a perfect life so that you don't have to and he's going to die a death that was meant for you because the wages of sin is death and you earn death by not doing what God has commanded you to do and by raising from the dead he's going to defeat the curse of death so that you can live eternally with God in heaven come on somebody that's the story of the Bible The greatest news in the history of the world is this has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. That He wants to be in a relationship with you. That the reason He wants you to worship Him is not because He needs your worship, but because you need Him to find joy. The one thing everybody in this world is looking for. So listen to me now. There is no external evidence, zero external evidence in the world that could argue the Bible's claim that it is the Word of God. What about the contradictions, Pastor? Where? Show them to me. I can promise you there's an answer for every single one of them. And so I'll say this as we close. What's so remarkable about everything that I have taught you is you don't have to be a pastor to defend this book. You don't have to be a pastor to tell somebody that this is a reliable source of historical documents that have been written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It records for you supernatural events that have taken place to fulfill specific prophecies and itself claims to be divine rather than human in origin. You don't have to be a pastor to say any of those things and defend any of those things. And if the people you're explaining that to still don't believe, that's on them. That's not on you. The pressure's off of you. So what if they ask me something I don't know? Tell them you'll get back to them. I'll think on that. Please don't just make something up. That doesn't help anybody, okay? You don't have to have the answer for everything. Just point them to Jesus and the difference he's made in your life. And I used to be like this, but because of Jesus, now I'm like this, and I'm just going to try and do everything he said because I got eyewitnesses telling me that he rose from the dead. Well, what about the Old Testament, Pastor? You said the reason people don't trust the New Testament is not because what is written in there, because everything's verifiable by eyewitnesses. And so they like to go back to the Old Testament because there's some weird stuff in there. Well, what about the Old Testament? How do we defend the Old Testament? Well, that's why you have to come back for part three of the Bible for grown-ups. We'll talk about it next week. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can come and gather in this place and open up your very words. Now we can hear from you. Thank you for making sure this 
book was written right. That we could defend it. We don't have to take it on faith. We have eyewitness accounts confirming everything that's written. As we continue to pray, I'm just asking God to do what only he can do and start speaking to you right now in this moment. Perhaps he's convicting you of some things that you know are written in the Bible and you're, for whatever reason, choosing not to follow. Perhaps he's convicting you because I challenged you to share your faith with other people because God has commanded us to do that. And he's bringing people to your mind that you should talk to. Whatever it is, I just believe God is right now speaking to you in this moment. This is why we come and we open up his word so that he'll speak. And I'm just asking you to listen to that voice right now. For some of you, that voice might be saying, put your trust in me. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of the story of Jesus Christ in a way that made sense to you, that he rose from the dead so that you could be made new. This is the story of the Bible. God wants to be in a relationship with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. He's got a plan for your life. But it all starts with Jesus. Scripture makes it clear that if you'll put your trust in Jesus, you'll be made new. And I want to give you a chance to do that. Just in your own heart, you can say, God, I believe in your word. I believe in your son, Jesus. That he died on a cross but three days later rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me through his resurrection. Forgive me of my sin. Help me live for you. I give you my life. God, we want to fully commit ourselves to you as we leave this place. Help us each day to draw ourselves closer to you and become more like Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.